Father, Lord, we, uh, we thank you for the fact that you are the hope in our heart. God, that we don't have hope in anything else. There's nothing man-made that we can put our hope in. God, there's nothing that we can produce that we can put our hope in. We can only put our, our hope in you. And God, when it comes to the cross and it comes to your mercy and your grace, all we can do is fall at the foot of the cross and say, God, we find our hope in you. So Lord, I pray right now as we look at, at your word and we see uh, what you say to us about finding our purpose in our lives, Lord, I, I pray that you would lead us and you would guide us, God, that we would listen to you and, and, and you alone and not the voices in our own head, God, but the, the voice that is instilled in our hearts that you have put there, and that is the voice of the Holy Spirit. So God, I'm praying right now that, that people would tune into that voice and that voice alone. God, as we look at your, your word and what it says to us. In Jesus' name I do pray. Amen. You can be seated. So we've been uh, talking about finding your purpose, right? And this is kind of a big deal. Everybody uh, likes the idea of finding their purpose. Everybody kind of wants to know what it means to find our purpose because there's a lot of people floundering around in life going, I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. So instead of th making things really complicated and saying, here's a big long laundry list of things and, and uh, here's a catalog you can look at and, and and check out some things in this catalog and find your purpose in here. Uh, what we've done is kind of boil it down a little bit and give you some, some key things to think about. Some key points uh, as, we, as we look at our, our purpose for our lives, what God has called us to in our own lives. And Because you can overcomplicate things, can't you? Uh, I know that I have a tendency to do that. I'm a computer geek for crying out loud. All I do is make things complicated. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, there's an Einstein quote out there. I, I wish I'd looked it up, but it, it just occurred to me right now. But basically, Einstein said this. He said, he said any, any fool can make something complicated. It would take somebody really intelligent to make something simple, right? So you can go look up that quote and tweet it if you want to, but, but that's an Einstein quote, not mine. So anyway, so I have a tendency, because I'm kind of foolish, to tend to make things too complicated. And when it comes to finding my purpose in life, I tend to do that too. So I'm glad that none of y'all have that problem. I'm glad that you guys keep it simple all the time and you know exactly what you're supposed to do. But for me, I have to like have some bullet points in my head. These are the things I'm supposed to do. So, so why don't I just do those things and then all the other stuff will kind of work itself out, you know? I have to do that because uh, that's just kind of the way my brain works. I work in bullet points up in my head because if you notice, I don't, I don't use notes during my sermons. I have to have bullet points up here. Uh, the, God puts the bullet points up there, and I just have to kind of remember them and go through them with you guys at least twice on Sunday, you know. But uh, So I, I tell everybody, I get the sermon preached to me three times. It's, it, God's speaking to me, preaching to me one time, and then I got to do it twice for you guys. So uh, trust me when I tell you the bullet points are up there. By the third time, they're, they're just in there, man. They're not going anywhere. Um, I have, to, I have to have bullet points in my head. I have to have some simple things that I can keep in mind because th this is what happens. So my golf game is like this. Um, I don't play golf very often, okay? Uh, usually only when it's free uh, and, and Joe's able to take me to go play. So that's usually when it happens. But, um, so that's when I usually play golf. But in, my, in my, my mind, there is a million things going on with my golf game that I need to do, right? So I got to have my grip this way i got to have my stance a certain way. My feet have to be shoulder-width apart. Depending on the club I'm using, I may, if I'm using a driver, I may spread my feet slightly, may even point my toes out slightly if I'm using my driver to keep balance. 
Depending on the type of club that I'm using, it goes further back in my stance. Depending on the loft that I want to use, if I'm trying to hook or slice the ball, then I may angle my feet open or closed. So there's a lot of stuff to think about, okay? And I have to think about keeping my left arm straight, but keeping my shoulders loose, keeping my head still, but my head down such that if I had sunglasses on, they wouldn't slide around on my face if I had loose fit. I'm keeping all these things, trying to keep all these things in my mind. And you know what happens? I hit the ball 180 feet just right out there on the edge of the tee. You know what I mean? Like I'm standing there looking at my ball, and I'm like, there's the women's tee way up there. And I just hit my drive, and it's awesome, right? So what do I have to do? In my golf game, so this, I know it's really boring listening to somebody talk about their golf game, but in my golf game, I got to have just a couple of simple things in my mind. Loose through the shoulders, keep your grip kind of loose, and just hit the dang ball. You know what I mean? Like, if I can do those things, then, then, then usually it ends up all right. Now, not always, and that's why I'm not really a good golfer, but usually it ends up okay, all right? In our life, I think that we got to have a couple things we keep in mind, and we got to just do those things and do them well. And not focus on the 17 million little bitty details that we could be, you know, trying to perfect in our lives to try to get it just so. And then what difference does it end up making in the big scheme of things? You know what I mean? What difference does it make if my thumb is placed a quarter of an inch to the left or the right if I shank the ball and it goes 180 feet and I'm still behind the women's tee? You know what I mean? Like some of those things that, that we try to focus on sometimes, they aren't making a hill of beans, you know? So let's, let's keep it simple a little bit. And tonight, I want to kind of share something with you. It's something that in God's Word, it's a, it's a theme that we see, but it's not really talked a lot about in church because it kind of freaks us out a little bit. And that is that there's, there, there's kind of a, a judgment coming of what you have done with your life as it's been given to you. We know that the parable of the talents, you've heard the parable of the talents, right? Five talents, uh, two talents, one talent. And the guy with one talent, he didn't really do anything with it. He just buried it in a hole because he thought his master was a hard guy. So he was afraid to do anything with it. He was afraid he'd lose it. So he just went and buried it. And then he gave it back to the master when the master came back. And the master said, depart from me, you, you doer of iniquity. Um, he, said, he said, I gave you this talent. You didn't do anything with it. And I don't think we talk about that a whole lot in church because that kind of freaks us out a little bit. Because we know that God has given us some abilities, some talents He's given us some capacity for the gospel, and we may not be using it. And we don't like to think about that we're going to have to stand in front of him one day and give an account for the fact that we haven't done very much. And I know that I get on this a lot about doing stuff, right? In this church, we do a lot, I'm telling you. But I think that we do a lot because the Word of God says we're supposed to do a lot. So what I want to do, actually, is I want to read the passage of Scripture to you first, and then I just want to share something that God has he put a picture in my head. So, so I, I, I don't know why this happens, but God drew a picture in my head. And, and do y'all remember, like, I did this thing not too long ago where it was like the, the, the stock thing where it shows, like, the stock going up and down and all that kind of stuff. You remember that? Where I was like, if you zoom in on this one little thing, you can see that, that it doesn't look like it's going really good. But if you zoom out in the bigger picture, you go, man, that stock is doing really well over a period of time. God gives me these pictures to put in my head. I think it's because I'm, I'm, I'm really not very sharp up here, so God has to give me some simple pictures to keep in my mind. And this happens to be one of the simple pictures that God has placed in my, in my mind this past week. And the only thing I could do with it was tell you guys about it. So I've got a picture that I'm going to show you in just a little bit. But let me, let me uh, start when Luke chapter 12, if you want to turn in your Bibles there. I'm just going to kind of read this passage, and we're just going to kind of look 
And what Jesus is saying to his disciples and to the, to the, to the people around him, it begins in Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 35, it says this, Be dressed for service and keep your lamps burning, as though you are waiting for your master to return from the, uh, return from the wedding feast. Then you will be ready to open the door and let him, let him in the moment let him in the moment he arrives and knocks. Servants who are ready and waiting for his return will be uh, rewarded. I tell you the truth, he himself will, will seat them, put on an apron, and serve them as they sit and eat. They may come in in the middle of the night. He may come in the middle of the night or just before dawn. But whenever he comes, he will reward the servants who are ready. Now, this is talking about Jesus and his return. Okay, Jesus is talking about... He's, he's telling them a parable here that the, the master's coming back from the wedding feast and he's coming back and he's going to give an account to his servants and how they've been serving. And, and, and this is what it says. He says, understand this, if a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would not permit his house to be broken into. He, he, you also must be ready all the time for the Son of Man will come when least expected. Peter asked, Lord, is that illustration just for us or for everyone? And the Lord replied, a faithful and sensible servant is one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants feeding and feeding them. If the master returns and finds that the servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. If I tell you the truth, the master will put that servant in charge of all he owns. But if what the servant, uh, if the servant thinks, my master won't be back for a while, and he, he begins beating the other servants and and, and partying and getting drunk, the master will return unannounced and unexpected, and he will cut the servant into pieces and banish him with the unfaithful. And the servant who knows what the master wants but isn't prepared and, and doesn't carry out those instructions will be severely punished. But someone who doesn't know they, the, then does something wrong will be punished only lightly. When someone has been given much, much will be required in return. When someone is given, has been entrusted with much, even much more will be required. So what's Jesus saying? Okay, so he's given them this, this parable of the, the, the servant, and he's, he's in charge of taking care of the household when the master's gone, right? So that's what's going on. We kind of get that picture, right? Well, that's the picture of us. That's the picture of us, right? We're the servants of Jesus Christ, right? And, and we're called to, to do things to serve the master. We're, we're, we're called to serve the master. That's why one of the three tenets of Simple Church is reach, teach, and serve. It's because we serve. That's what we do. On behalf of the master, that's what we do. We serve. As Christians, we're called to serve. And admittedly, some of us have more capacity to serve than others. Some of us have more ability, more capacity for the gospel, and, and maybe a greater, deeper understanding of God's word, and, and, and you have the ability to go and share and do more and, and, and all those kinds of things. But let me tell you this. This is, this is where I think the, 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 the church gets kind of out of whack a little bit. We are so stinking blessed in the United States of America. We have more capacity, more ability. If you want to think about the people that are in, in China right now that, that are hanging out in somebody's basement in a dark, secluded place where they can, 
All they have is a piece of the Bible, a couple of words from the Bible that they just talk about over and over and over again because that's the only thing they have. But yet here in America, we have these books, and man, we just leave them sitting on the, the dresser. We leave them sitting on the counter. We've got the whole of God's Word, and, and we have a place like this that we can come in on a Wednesday night during the middle of the week and talk about God's Word and understand more about who God is. Let me tell you that, that we, just by being where we are, where we are, we have a large capacity to do many things with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are a blessed people. Let me tell you, we are a blessed people. I don't think that we recognize that enough. I, I, I think that we have a tendency to go, yeah, we're blessed. We're blessed. God loves us. We're blessed. That's what, we, that's what we say a lot of times, especially in this country. God bless America, you know? Uh, we're, we're blessed because God loves us. I think that the, the truth of the matter is we're blessed and God expects a lot of us. That's what his word says. That we have the financial resources to be able to go into the outermost parts of the earth. That, that, that we, we, we have food on the table, that we can send to places that don't have food. I think that the reason is that, that we're blessed is so that we can bless other people. I think that that's the reason. I think that God has given us a tremendous capacity, and because he has given us so much, he expects a lot out of us. But I, I really believe that, that the mentality a lot of times is that, man, we're blessed because we're such faithful people. And I would say that when I read this passage, it scares the mess out of me. It scares the mess out of me because I think about how blessed I am, how much ability I have, the places I can go, the people I can reach. Now, now this is the, the argument that a lot of people give. And I, I look, I, I, I get this to a degree, okay, that... That we should be reaching the people across the street. And that's absolutely true. We should be reaching the people across the street. But we have the ability to reach the people across the world that have never heard about Jesus Christ. There are people across the street that know where the church is. The fact that there's a church on every street. There are people across the world that don't know what a church is. And we have a great capacity with the gospel and the things that God has blessed us with to go and reach those people. So I believe, I believe that the church should be more outwardly focused and less inwardly focused. I think that the church in general, the American church, I'm going to say the American church because that's, that's the one that I have a pet peeve with. Because the American church doesn't look like churches other places, Okay. The American church doesn't look like places, uh, churches in other places. The American church has become very focused on taking care of the church. Very inwardly focused, okay? And it bothers me. It bothers me that, that, that it's become very inwardly focused. Now let me clarify something here. When I say inwardly focused, I, I don't mean that I have a problem with doing things like pastoral care, ministering to those who are sick. 
Um, loving on one another, discipling one, that kind of thing, I believe, is necessary. I believe that that's why Christ died for the church, because he loves the church. And I believe the church is a good thing. But I believe, like anything else in, in the world, Christians are just like anybody else, and they can take a good thing, and they can turn it into something it was never intended to be. Just like pain pills. You take a good thing and you can make something bad out of it, can't you? Same thing. We can take something good, like being inwardly focused and taking care of our people, and turn it into something bad where we're only focused on our people and us, and it becomes all about us. Did Jesus care for his disciples? Absolutely, he sure did. Did he minister to them? Did he disciple them? Yes, he did. He absolutely did. But I have a picture I want to show you. I, want to, I have a picture I want to show you. We're going to go picture by picture in here. And it's going to kind of like a little bit of a slideshow, if you will. Let's put, let's put up the, the first picture here. So I got this whole scale, right? So there's this, this is what God just kind of put in my mind this week for whatever reason. And, and on one side, you have an inwardly focused church, right? So it's, it's kind of all the way about itself, and that's all it really cares about is the church and taking care of its people and spending all of its time, all of its money, all of its resources on, its, on itself, okay? And you all may have a picture in your mind of a church like this. I don't know. But there's a whole scale here, okay? So the other end of the scale is the outwardly focused church, where it's completely about everybody else. It's not at all about caring about the people in the church it's just about everybody else and all the time, all the money, all the resources go out the door because it's all about everybody else, right? And you say, well, what, where are we supposed to be on this scale? Well, this, this is, I, listen, let me, let me I, I want to quantify something here before I say this. When I give you this next picture, this is not every church, Okay? I'm not talking about every church, but I am talking about a vast majority of American churches that, that have, have been in existence for a long period of time, okay? This has been kind of the old paradigm, if you will, and, and it's been around for a while, but this is changing, and this is shifting, and I want you to recognize that, that I, I, I recognize that there is a, a transformation that's happening in the church, and you're starting to see that especially in a lot of the bigger cities, less in the smaller cities like our town, but, but more in the bigger cities, you're starting to see a slide towards being more outwardly focused and less inwardly focused, okay? You're starting to see more mission trips. You're starting to see people like, like David Platt talking about how we need to reach the people of the world. You're starting to see the, 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 the great... Spiritual leaders of the world stop talking about so much about the church and they talk about the kingdom of God. You're starting to see this shift or this slide in the American church, which is a great thing. But we have got to be aware of what is happening and where we have been so that we don't go back there. Because this is the picture. Next slide. This is what I believe is the picture of, of where most churches have been for many years. Now, I believe that this is partially because of, of the way things have been, okay? If you think about the 70s, 80s, 90s, 
Not a lot of people could get out and travel to Haiti. Not a lot of people could get out and travel to Uganda or, or, or Cambodia. It was, it was more difficult, all right? There wasn't a lot of financial resources to do that. People stayed at home a lot more. I mean, it, you don't really have the capacity to go jump on a, a plane and go to the other side of the world. It, that, that, that's true. That's the way they used to be. So people did tend to focus more on the church and, and reaching their neighbor across the street so they could bring it, them into the church. And I believe that that's a great thing, okay? Let me, let me clarify. I want you to know that I think that that's an okay thing. But I believe that because culture is shifted, because the American society has shifted in such a way that we're more blessed, we have more abilities, more capabilities to reach the other side of the world, I believe that we too have to make that shift towards reaching those other places now that we have the capacity to. Because I believe that's what God's word points to. And I believe that's why you're seeing some of these very influential spiritual leaders in, in America today. That's why they're pushing so hard to get on the other end of that scale, right? So, so where, do, where is my heart, okay? Where, where do I feel like... Now, I want you to understand that I'm going to talk in the context of the church, but I want you to think about the context of your life. Where are you on this scale too, Right? Are you inwardly focused? Is, is, it about, is it about my satisfaction, my health, my well-being, making sure that, that everything is taken care of so that, so that I, I, I've got what I need? Or is there a push in your life towards being more outwardly focused? So as we talk about the church and you think about your purpose in your life, I, think, I want you to think about where you are on this scale. Where is your life on this scale? I want to show you the picture where I feel like God has, has placed my heart for Simple Church and, and kind of where I feel like we're either trying to get to or we're close to right now, and, and the next picture kind of shows that. I really feel like God has, has put a picture in my mind that we're to be more down this way towards outwardly focused, to try to flip-flop the scale, if you will. Instead of saying it's all about us, we say it's all about everybody else. That doesn't mean that we're all the way over here where we neglect our people. We don't do that because I believe that it's necessary for us to care for our people. But this is the conversation I had with somebody this week. She was talking about how she was spending hours upon hours upon hours building a set for their kids' Christmas play. And I said, okay, well, that's, that's okay, you know. I said, but let me ask you this question. If, if you had spent 20 hours this week building the set for the children's Christmas play, and I had asked you, hey, we got an opportunity for you to go and, 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 and pack shoeboxes and go to the, the sorting center over in Swanee, Georgia, all day on Saturday. I said, I said, do you think you'd still have time to do that if you'd spent 20 hours building the the children's Christmas play set for the church? She said, no, I don't think I would have. I said, that's why we don't do that at Simple Church. It's not that it's a bad thing. And is, it there, is there some point where we may put some, some little caricatures up here? That may happen. But I'm just saying we're not going to invest a majority of our time in doing that kind of stuff, which, which I believe that we're called to be more outwardly focused and less inwardly focused. 
That's not going to be the primary focus of this church. It's not going to be to just focus on us. We're going to spend our time and our energy to go out these doors. I, I think that, that, that God has just impressed upon my heart that, that that's the way that this church is called to be. Now, some of you may not like that. And, and this person that I talked to about, this, she was immediately defensive when I said this. What's wrong with the children's program? What's wrong with building a set? And I said, nothing's wrong with it. But here's the thing. I said, I said your time's going to be divided. And you're going to have to choose to either do this or do that or, burn, or be burnt out. One of the two. One of the three. You can do this, do that, or be burnt out. You're going to have to choose. And she's like, you're right. You're right. So when you think about your life and where you are on this scale... And you think about what you're spending your time and what you're investing your time and your resources and your money in. Is it more inwardly focused or is it more outwardly focused? As you're trying to find your purpose, I want you to think about where you are on the scale. Some people would say this. They say, well, Jesus, he'd have been right smack dab in the middle, right? Let's put the next slide up there. There's Jesus. He's in the middle. That's where Jesus is because God is a God of balance and, and he would have been right there in the middle, and, and he would have said, love the church and, and, and reach out to the people. Well, yeah, that's exactly where Jesus would have been. I would beg to differ. I would beg to differ with that. Let's, let's go to the next slide. This is where I think Jesus would be. That's where I think Jesus would be. Not neglecting his people. He would be discipling his people, but he would be doing it on the road. Isn't that what he would do, be doing? So, so would Jesus be teaching his guys, his 12 disciples? Wouldn't he, be, wouldn't he be teaching those? Think about where he did the majority of his teaching. Did he do it one-on-one -on -one with those guys in a little huddled-up room and say, okay, here's, listen, guys, I'm going to teach you something. You come over here, and let's, let's, let's huddle up, and I'm going to tell you something, and let's go, let's go grab a bite to eat, and we'll get, uh, we'll, we'll get together, and, and we'll just get in the upper room. He did that. He did that. But the majority of his teaching, I would go so far as to say 90% of his teaching was done in the context of when he was reaching out to everybody else and preaching and teaching to thousands of people. And those 12 guys happened to be there listening. And they were watching what he did, and he was leading by example. He was discipling them by showing them what you're supposed to be doing. Jesus was what the big churchy word for what Jesus was. He was an itinerant preacher. So that just means he was a traveling evangelist is what he was doing. That's what he was. He traveled around, went from town to town, city to city. You know why? Because that's where the people were. He was outwardly focused. Did he care about his guys? Yes. Did he minister to, to uh, people that were hurting? Did he raise Lazarus from the dead? Yes, because he loved him so much. He cared about the family. He went over to their house when they were mourning his death and all this kind of stuff. Yes, he did. But if you, when I read the New Testament, and we can argue about this if you want to get me alone sometime, but when I read the New Testament, I see a dude that was on the road a lot. I see a guy that was outwardly focused. Why did he do that? Why, why did Jesus do that? Yes, he wanted to reach the people. He wanted to tell them about the kingdom of God. He wanted to tell them the good news. But there was a more important reason than that. There was a more important reason than that. You, you ever thought about this? Why did, why did he do that? I kind of gave you a little taste of it just a second ago. It's because when Jesus was gone, somebody else was going to have to do it. When Jesus ascended back to heaven, 
When, when, at the Mount of Olives, after, after Jesus had walked around the earth, after, after he'd been resurrected from the dead, when, when he ascended back up to heaven, those guys, you know what they had to do? They didn't just go and like huddle up somewhere. They didn't just go and, and, and put their arms around each other and say, all right, guys, what did we learn from this? No. They went out, and they kept going out. And any time they would get too huddled up, you know what would happen? Persecution would come on the church so that they would split up and they would go out some more. They kept going out. It kept being an outwardly focused thing. Now, I will admit, it is true that what they did financially was to get their money together, pool their money together for, to care for those that were in need within the church. That they did that, and that was the birth of the church, and that's how the, the church began, is that they started to, to, to ha- break bread with one another. They, they used to, to, to celebrate the fact that, uh, that they could commune with the Lord through, through the, the Lord's Supper. And the church was a beautiful thing. But the church went out. The church was outwardly focused. You know why? Because Jesus was outwardly focused. In our lives, when we come to these day-to-day decisions about what we're supposed to do, we're supposed to find our purpose, we're supposed to look at this particular situation, what am I supposed to do in this particular situation, this job, this college uh, degree that I'm supposed to get? I want to hopefully instill upon you that you're supposed to have a different mentality instead of being inwardly focused to be outwardly focused. I'm just trying to shift your vision, if you will, to say, you know what, maybe it's bigger than just me. Maybe the calling on my life is so much bigger than just right here, right now, in this moment. There's a reason why, why God gave me this picture. And, and there's people in here that are struggling with this or dealing with this, and, and you're trying to figure out what's my purpose in life. You will naturally gravitate this way. You will naturally go this way. This will be your natural inclination is to go this way and be inwardly focused, whether it's the church or your own life. You will be naturally pushed in this direction on the scale. Why? Why? Next slide. Because it is easier. It's easier and more natural to be inwardly focused. And the next one is, this is harder. Easy versus hard. You will always naturally choose the easier path. That will always happen. Your flesh, everything inside of you will always desire the easier path. It's only when your flesh is motivated by the calling of God And the motivation of the Holy Spirit that dwells within you, will you be pushed towards the other end of the scale and you will have the blinders taken off and you will go towards the other way. The harder way, the more difficult way, the one that makes you feel the most uncomfortable when you have to reach out to people. You see, some of you have a capacity right now to reach the person at the locker right next to you, but you don't do that. Some of you have the capacity to reach the person who stands beside you every single day at work, and you don't do it. You know why? You know why? Because you'll come back in here on Sunday, and you'll sing praises to God and feel a little bit better about yourself and and think about who God is, and 
And, and you'll do everything that you can to justify your actions so that you become more inwardly focused, so that you feel better, as opposed to doing the hard thing, which is to be more outwardly focused. To be more outwardly focused and say, I don't care what my flesh desires. I want to do the hard thing. I want to be more like Jesus and less like me. Finding your purpose, right? Finding your purpose. What can I wrap it up with? What could I possibly say? You know, find your purpose in life is to be like Jesus. To be like Jesus. Jesus was so outwardly focused that he died for all of us. He didn't die for himself. He died for everybody else. That's pretty doggone outwardly focused, if you ask me. Wouldn't you agree? Let me pray. Father, Lord, I pray that we would be an outwardly focused people, not just as a church, but as individuals. God, we would stop choosing the easy path. We would stop choosing the road that everybody else is on. God, but we would choose the, the path that leads towards you. God, I know that there's a judgment coming, and you're going to look at each and every one of us and say, what did you do with what I gave you? Lord, your word tells us that. So, Lord, I, I pray that we'd be a people that, that do a lot with a little. God, with what you give us, we continue to do everything that we can to bring glory and honor to you by doing everything that we can, God, to, to use what you've given us, God, to reach this world. God, we've got a great capacity in this church. There's financial resources. God, there's people that, that have abilities. Lord, I just pray that we use those things so that we can come before the Master one day and say, Master, look. Look at what I did with what you gave me. Lord, we want to make you proud. We want to, we want to enter into your glory. We want to hear you say, well done, my good and faithful servant. That path won't be easy to get there, though, Lord. We know that. We acknowledge it. We know that our flesh will cry out towards being more inwardly focused and, and, and focused on ourselves. But Lord, I pray that we do all that we can to resist that temptation, that we move towards the cross, that we move towards the difficult things in life, that we live sacrificially for you and for your kingdom. God, this time belongs to you as you move in people's hearts. May we respond sacrificially. May we do the hard things. May we commit ourselves to doing the hard things that you call us to for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Everyone stand.